This episode of the Off Course Podcast is brought to you by Bagboy. For over 75 years, Bagboy has been at the forefront of solving the experience of getting the golf bag from one location to another. Whether you're looking for the smooth ride of a push cart, the durable travel covers, or a bag loaded with features, Bagboy will certainly have a quality option ready for you. For more information, visit www.bagboy.com. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to the 150th episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards. Joining me for, I believe, the second time, I don't think yeah, it's I think third yet. Been on here, yeah. Is Mr. Nick Sherburn of Club Champion fame. It is excellent to have you on, sir. Thanks for having me. And 150 is a good milestone. I like that. Congrats. Yeah, not too bad. That's a pretty solid nine iron in most people's hands, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> I got to really push a nine iron these days to get there, but I can still get one there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's always fun to have you on. You are in an incredibly unique corner of the industry that you get to see pretty much all sides of uh, the golfing experience or the golfer experience. Uh, I'd love to know what's new with you guys. What's going on? What uh, what has 2023 been been doing for Club Champion? Yeah, it's been exciting. You know, uh, we continue to grow. Uh, we, we're at 108 stores nationwide here domestically uh, with the goal to be at, uh, let's see, let me do some quick math, uh, 123 by the end of the year. So, we still have a lot of stores to open. Um, golf is still, you know, I would say we're kind of, like I said before the show, I said we've kind of left the COVID boom of, you know, people being able to play golf all the time and all that stuff. You've definitely seen it come down. But the fact of the matter is you're up a couple rings on the ladder, as I call it. So the industry, in my opinion, is still healthy. Uh, we're seeing it at Club Champion. The fits are still there. People are coming in. They're excited um life's just kind of come back to normal a little bit they might not have the time and economy's kind of maybe pinch the wall to touch but when you're a golfer you're going to spend money on golf and you're going to want to continue to get better that's what golfers do right i want to get better at this game so it's been good and then you know we've we've you know we've had last year we made we made a couple acquisitions around the world uh txg in canada and uh golf principles in the uk uh in pure form in australia and we've had fun just taking those businesses and trying to show them how we can expand and, and grow and all those things. And I joke because it's fun for me when I talk to these folks around the country, around the world that we've we've acquired. This is basically the situation I found myself in in 2009. You know, I had a small business with two stores and I took on some business partners and, and helped us get to where we are today. And so that's kind of the same playbook. It's like, okay, you, you're really good at club fitting. You're really good at club building, but you probably need a little help on the business end, which I know I did when I, you know, well, I guess it was 14 years ago now. Um, and that's what we're trying to help with these folks around. We, we don't want to take anything away from them. We just want to make them bigger and better. Okay. Uh, I'd love to get into that a little bit more, but you, you triggered a thought or a question I think a lot of people would have you you're, you're at 108 stores is that nationally in the US right now or is that global yeah nope okay. in, in the US and then you've got plans to add 15 stores so one of the things I've been curious about is what what does it take what is the threshold what is what do you look for in a new location 
So we're going to look at population. We're going to look at golf. We're going to look at population as one of them. And then, uh, cause that'll kind of help us understand what the metrics of the store could do. Um, then we're going to look at how many golfers. So we'll look at like, we call it avid golfers, which just means you keep a handicap. Um, so we'll look at how many people keep a handicap in that particular region. Uh, how many golf courses are in that particular region. Um, obviously you're going to look at everything like every business looks at what's the medium income, things like that, just to make sure you're not going to an area that might be on the de decline or whatever. But, um, the reality of it is that's what we look for. We look for regions that probably are underserved as well sometimes. So like some people will be like, wow, that's a smaller little market. I'm surprised you're going there. Well, it's an underserved market. There's not a lot there in the club fitting world. There might not even be there a lot there in club sales in general at the moment. And so, um, you know, we look for it. That's what the kind of things we look for. We we're very lucky at our size to be able to have a team of people, um, that we contract that, you know, the same people that maybe help like a Starbucks or a, a McDonald's help you understand your client, who your client is, um, who's going to be interested in your products and services and where you put that in order to be, put yourself in the best place to be successful. And so I'll definitely tell you this, Dan, when we first started working with these folks, whatever it was, five, six years ago, before that, we just did it all on our own. It was kind of easier with big markets. Um, you learn some things. You're like, the world's bigger than what your brain thought it would be. Um, and what we all think it is of like, you know, your core golf places. Um, and it's pretty interesting stuff. I know I learned a lot of stuff from these folks uh, who have been doing this a long time. Yeah, it well, it's funny. You look at some of the stores, uh I'm always been fascinated about how companies choose to go where they go. And we're talking slightly different concept of retail, but it's always funny when you see one store, you can just about guarantee there's another store that is the same store five, you know, five steps down the road kind of thing. It's like, okay, you guys are, you guys are working in the same umbrella of logic here. Right. I get that. Uh, I assumed it'd be a little bit different for golf, but it, was there, is there a location that really surprised you that that really suited club champions value and design? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can speak to exactly that one, like pick out one. Yeah. But I can tell you some interesting things. Like people always go like, well, why wouldn't you just go set up at Pinehurst? There's tons of golfers there. There's eight golf courses. There's all that stuff. Well, the reality is, is people are going there to play golf and vacation and do that. They're not really necessarily looking to take four day four four hours out of their their vacation time and go spend a bunch of money on golf where they're already there spending a bunch of money on golf, right? But you're interesting, like you go to like Orlando Take for example, um, you know if you go to Turkey Lake Street, there's a superstore, one of the biggest Edwin Watts there ever was, a Golf Galaxy Club Champion. <laughs> and we're all within like a driver of each other. And it is amazing. It's one of our biggest stores. And so it's it's one of those deals where it's like people want to be away from competition. There's a couple thoughts like with golf stores. Well, it could be destination. People will come and find it because golf is this highly passionate thing. And although that's not a wrong statement, when you're looking to maximize how many people you can truly, you know, get in your door, um, you need to be more accessible. Like you need to be easily accessible and at a, what you know, a spot where people are traveling a lot. So that's why, like our stores, a lot of times we always joke we want to be at Maine and Maine, although that place is probably too expensive for us in our business model. But maybe we can be on the back of the building at Maine and Maine, right? <laughs> so that's kind of what we we always say. And then the other thing is, is it's it's like this won't resonate to everybody around the country, but maybe um, it definitely does more in the Midwest. To, for example, like 
there's a Walgreens on one corner and there's a CVS on the other. Oh corner. yeah. Yeah. And it's almost everywhere. And they do that on purpose. Like, and I will tell you for us too, like being near uh competition is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It, it gives people, everybody can go get everything they want and they can make their decision on where they want to go. And a lot of times they go to both. I, we don't sell, you know, all the little extras and trinkets and things. We sell golf balls and clubs. That's it. Okay. So, and we don't even sell every golf ball like in store. So we don't have the selection. Certainly a superstore does. So long story short is we can also, you know, play off each other that, Hey, we do the golf clubs really well, but you can get all your other golfing needs across the street. So, um, I know that sounds weird for a retailer to say, but it actually is. I mean, it's, it's sort of similar to that Walgreens CVS kind of uh, analogy. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit on one of the prime examples in my location anyways to what uh, what you'd expect to see. There's absolute truth in that. Uh, it, I am curious about the competition side of things. And what I'm, I'm more curious about now that you are as many years into the business as you've been, I assume that repeat customers as well as word of mouth are some of the best ways you guys get business. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, we're, we'll probably talk about some of our marketing and stuff that we do. And But the reality is when you look at our core of our business, repeat customers and customer referral, I mean, is a huge part of our business. And when you look at those metrics compared to most retail, it is very high. It's one of the things that makes our business look very good. And it but we have I mean, we need to be high like our whole we especially when we were smaller that we didn't have the money for marketing. So the only way we can get a word out there is through those customer referrals. And on top of it, we're retail, but we're what I like to call them. And I think others in, in retail would call it experiential retail. So you're, you know, part of what you're paying for in that fit fee and stuff is that experience, right? It's you're getting results. I call it results, but it's an experience and it's different than everybody else. And so if you can deliver high on that experience and those results, you're going to get more customers. It's a big part of our business. It's something we spend a lot of time with our fitters on and uh, making sure we do our best job all the time. Well, that's one of the experiences I've had. And, and I, I can really only speak to the, the locations that I've had and spent time in. Uh, here in Cincinnati is a good example. Uh, knowing the guy's name by name is great uh, up in Indianapolis. Same deal. Like you go in there, you get a, a sense of interest. You get a, a sense of connection between the guy. What I thought was most compelling during my times going there was there was such an investment in getting the right things built and the right things fitted because obviously your brand is designed around maximizing potential in a golfer. Um, the freedom to to make those selections without being pressured. I, I thought those were all really valuable things and those would be the first things I would feature when someone asked me, where should I go get fit? What, what, where should I go and do this kind of, uh, emotional experience when yeah. like golf clubs, like it's an emotional, almost intimate feel trying to figure that out. And, and having that's always the goal. Yeah. you know, look at some of our competitors directly in our space that do almost identical to what we do. And you walk into their stores and this is no knock. It's just what they choose. This is my feeling on it. When I set it up 25 years ago, is we don't want our place to feel intimidating. We don't want our place to feel comfortable and inviting. We don't want all the super modern connections. Like I wanted to, I always said, I wanted it to feel like a pro shop. That's what I wanted, that kind of country club pro shop, that comfortable feel. 
and that one-on-one -on -one experience. And that's what I wanted to have. And I wanted customers, when they came, when they finished, they may say, hey, Nick, you're expensive. And that's fine. I'm good with that. But I wanted them to say, I made an educated decision today on my spend. I got what I needed to solve the issue I had on the golf course. And that's what I was looking to accomplish. And I didn't make up the price and people just think it's expensive because we had to do extra stuff in order to do that, to accomplish those goals. But that's what we wanted to do. And, and we get a lot of feedback. We do a lot of times, we do a lot of surveying of our customers, do a lot of surveying of not our customers and, um, or we hire groups to do it. And one of the things we do, you know, we do get the feedback on is that, that more personalized feel, that stuff. And it really, I still today try to drive that from the top. I mean, I had an upset customer, uh, in California a couple weekends ago. He started blowing us up on Twitter. It's Saturday night at seven o'clock. I picked up the phone. I called him. Okay. Picked, okay. I'm not getting a Twitter war with this. There's no need to. We made, if we made a mistake, we made an honest mistake. I'll tell you that. Um, and so it can be worked out. And so picked up the phone, still talked to the person. Person was floored that I called them and took care of the issue personally. And it was something simple. But you know, they think we're a big, you know, mega company. I mean, we are a nice size company. But at the same time, you know, I believe and I and I try to lead from, you know, the top that guy, this is all about the customer and making sure, one, that they leave playing better golf and two, that they have a great experience doing it. And what I mean by a great experience is I want them to truly understand what happened, why it happened, what they're putting in their bag, how it's going to help them, you know, all that stuff so that it's, it's just a very tight, clean process. So what you're saying, Nick, is. Saturday night at 7 p.m. I'm looking for a drinking buddy. All I got to do is roast club champion on Twitter and you're going to. Yeah, you probably. Yeah. Marketing might send it over to me or I might see it. <laughs> I, I'm funny because people all the time, they're like, well, you're not really on social media. I'm like, I'm not, but I am. So like, I'm not a poster. I'm not a uh, replier. I'm not one of those folks. Maybe someday I'll get into that. Uh, but I'm definitely an observer. So, so one of the things that th peers have experienced being a part of the community is how close a lot of the companies pay attention to the things we're saying on there I, I think one of the biggest credits to th peers is their honest open feedback you don't get a lot of that roast culture on there which is you know critical to growing a community um, but with that i think a lot of companies are willing to spend the time reviewing our feedback and our concerns when it comes to the products and the things they do to serve us so you know, it's refreshing to hear. And I think I tend to lean towards companies who are willing to take that extra mile and go or go that extra step on that. Uh, but to hear that you're you're out there on social, like social is a dangerous world, man. There's, <laughs> it really is. Well, and folks that know me well, uh, I, I have been known to go play in the mud. I will go die on a hill somewhere um for probably stupid reasons i i could be that dangerous person on social so that's why i kind of stay i i watch from afar and then if it's something that really you know is something that was honest like i always love honest feedback customer gives me something they're not happy with if it's fair feedback it's fair feedback and i agree i take it let's go talk to the team how can we do better next time but then, as you know, you can get in the mud pretty quick with just some stupid, silly stuff on social. And you're just like, you're, before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole really far. And I'm like, nah, I, can't, I, I need to stay away from that because I can do it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any quick hitter stories of things that you just, you've learned your lesson over the years to just let Well, let, so let I, a competitor's forum of yours, um, 
I was kicked off so many times, I don't even know. And I would create one burner after another. And I had what I would call truth bombs, okay? Basically, I would go into forums and all the, like, just stuff that's silly and just not right and incorrect and stuff, whether it's about a service we provide, something we did, or, you know, whatever. And I would just drop these, like, canned things in there. And I would see how many I could drop in these different forums before I finally got flagged or kicked out. <laughs> I'm older now. I've kind of stopped doing that. But, yeah, I had some fun with stuff like that. Yeah. I love it. Well, hey, we all we all have entertainment uh, that we use to, <laughs> to serve our, our free time. I, I think that's hilarious, honestly. Is that... Um, is that part of why you become the dean of club champion? You is that have they established you as like the guru, or is this just like so, Nick needs yeah, to find so, better uses of his time? Let's get him over here into the U. Well, no. So when we, <laughs> when we yeah, I wish. Uh, I wish that was the reason why. No, actually, what was what happened there is like when you know when I when I was the owner of the company up till 2010. Um, you know, obviously we have two stores. I just trained everybody, right? And so then when we brought in this outside, I brought in a partner, I brought in this outside money um, to grow the business. We were like, well, how are we going to scale the fitters, right? Because that's really this, the secret sauce to what we do is having really good, you know, fitters. And so the idea was to create a club champion training program, which I just called, I ended up one day just going, we're going to call it club champion university. And I'm going to be the, I'm going to, I actually said I was going to be the emeritus of the university. And then I changed myself to Dean of club champion university and I just made it up and it was supposed to be funny. So when the trainees came in, um, they had to call me Dean and it, it's kind of stuck and we just leave it and I leave it my signature and we have fun with it and everybody picks it out. Cause it is kind of a funny title. Right. Um, I think actually at one point it might've been changed to like Dean of smash factor or something or master of smash factor. I don't remember. <laughs> We've had a couple different ones, but Dean of Club Champion University is stuck. And we still have that. It's Club Champion University. Uh, it's our one-month training program. I started it in 2010, uh, right when we changed the name from EJL Custom Golf to Club Champion. Um, and it's what we still do today. Every one of our fitters comes here to our headquarters in Willowbrook, trains for a month. I still teach some classes. I still oversee the curriculum and the platform. Brad Sislo who's been in the industry forever, been fitting forever. Um, he understands that whole customer service, fitting products. You know, he's a, he's a golf nut. He came in about four years ago, and now he runs the day-to-day -day Club Champion University with a couple other coaches um, or teachers or however we, we call them, all kinds of different things. Um, but anyway, they, they run the day-to-day, -day and I just kind of come in. I taught a class yesterday. Oh, really? <clears throat> I, teach, uh, I teach SST Peer is one of my classes. I teach uh, customer experience. I teach customer resolution. I think those are my big three classes I, I teach. Angry Internet's Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, I should I should add a fourth class. Yeah, how not to act on the Internet. Ah, that's so good. Um, so with Club Champion U, I assume that that training is constantly evolving uh, in the industry that you, you serve. Has there been any sweeping changes when it comes to that process over at least like, let's say the last three or four years? No, I, the, the general process of how we train our fitters, like specifically the fitting process itself, hasn't changed a whole lot. We've made a couple tweaks here and there, 
Um, some things to help, like, you know, like, I mean, there has been an explosion of products, specifically shafts, you know, in general. Um, I mean, if people are following Club Champions history, we started with 15,000 combinations and we're up to 65,000 plus. So when you're a fitter, you got a lot of products you have to kind of understand, know how they work. And by the way, you can't hit everything in a fit. I know some people try, but you can't. Um, so you kind of have to know how to navigate, where to navigate and be efficient with it. I'd say one of the things that's cool, we don't really talk about or tout, but um, because we still want the fitter to be the uh, the centerfold of this, this process. But um, we have a, I created what I call, it's called the co-pilot, the fitter co-pilot. And it's an AI generated software in which helps the fitter stay on pace. So as the track man is collecting data, it's feeding the fitter kind of like suggestions on shaft. Then when they're done with shaft, then it'll feed it suggestions on heads. And I call it the co-pilot for that exact reason. I want the fitter still to be the captain. I still want the fitter to drive the knowledge in that. Because as you know, because you're in the industry, but not all golfers get this, there's science and then there's art to this. And there's not always one answer because the, every golfer might want to see something different, right? They Optimal may be what it is, but maybe we want a little bit more fade or we want a little bit more draw or we want a little lower, a little higher than optimal, whatever it is. Um, so, so there's, in my opinion, there's no perfect software that's going to tell a golfer what they need. But I do like the fact that we've added this to our fitters, the co-pilot, basically a little helper, saying, yeah. hey, let's not get too far off path here. This is kind of the region you should stay in. Let's do that. Because, again, there is a crap load of product out there now that, you know, fitters have to navigate. That's why I laugh when people go, well, I can go get fitted over here. I'm like, they have 10 shafts. There's <laughs> thousands of shafts out there. E even so, some of the most unique right. fit carts would be maxed out at, at what, 20 or 40 shafts on. on right. And that then that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. And we have 200 plus 230 some wood shafts our driver shafts and 180 or something. No, no, no. I'm saying that wrong. Well, standard length, like 180 iron shafts, but. So one of the things, one of the things I always found interesting is when you look on a, a shaft website and we're going to go down the uh, golf nerd rabbit hole here, which I'm sure you're excited about. They have, a, <laughs> I don't want to roast particular companies, but every, every shaft in their lineup is low, low spin. <laughs> High launch, launch uh, spin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you know things like the EI profile are, are pretty fascinating. You get it. Uh, I, I always loved the old Miyazaki system where it's you know exactly what stiffness is at each quadrant of the too. shaft. Um, but the truth is, I can go in there and someone else can go in there and swing the exact same shaft and get totally different results based on our unique swing. Whoa. So when it comes to a fitter that perfect there there is no perfect science there in my perspective you can't you can't make an assumption just based on a handicap a visual golf swing there's nothing about that that serves uh consistently across the board so you talked about co-pilot and and i think what really resonated to me is for the average golfer we're, we're not exactly the most athletic well athletics not fair uh fit group you know, it's it's not like we're all playing like water polo out here with uh, large guns, you know, so so every, people get gassed is what I'm trying to say. So you have a finite amount of time to find that perfect combination. 
uh, in shafts that really don't share unique traits or unique results off every golfer who hits them. So what's the trick there, man? I've always been really fascinated by that. Well, that is the toughest part is like you, you hit the head on the nail, two shafts, the same shaft could fit two different swingers, different ways. And so that's the toughest part, which, you know, what would happen in our example is as you become better fitter or more season fitter, you would probably get to the point where you were like, okay, I could see that that's not going to work or not going to work. But at the beginning, you might have to do a lot of trial and error and you're doing it with a customer of learning those things. The customer doesn't know that's happening, but, oh, wow, that didn't work for that person or whatever. And to your point, you can't hit everything. And so um, what would happen is, is ultimately fits would go very long. People would get very exhausted and maybe even have to split it in two. But we get to the right answer eventually because numbers are numbers. What I like about the co-pilot is it basically take, here's a cool stat. We get about a million swings on TrackMan per month. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, a million swings per month on TrackMan. How many good well, swings? Well, that's, <laughs> up for that's definitely up for debate. Uh, I can tell you the ones I put on there are, are suspect. Um, but anyway, if you take all the data we collect from our TrackMan, it's a million swings a month. And as most people know, TrackMan has an optimizer function and stuff. And so, and then we tag the clubs that are put in there. So it, when, when I went to data scientists to create this, they were like, Nick, we, we normally get really like crappy data. We build these, you know, platforms and algorithms off really like suspect data. They're like, man, you got so much data over the years in these TrackMan, you know, because it all gets put up into a cloud, TrackMan cloud. They're like, you have so much good data tagged well. And then ultimately, you know, you can see, you can put all that together in an optimizer. They're like, man, you can really create something here where there is some of that fitter biasness there, right? Like when I say biases, that this the art mm -hmm. of, you know, you could see here's what would have been optimal, but here's what the final person got fit for. It was also optimal, but in a different way, right? And so it's kind of been really cool how it's blended that, uh, help the fitter you know, blend that art and science together. And it's been cool. And like I said, we don't, we don't advertise it. Maybe someday we will, but right now it's like our fitter still is the one guiding it. So it's like, it's a co-pilot. It's truly just there to help. And I think it's really cool because it helps in those jump balls of like, well, you know, I need to get my launch lower. I need to get my spin up or whatever it is. I think I need to go this way. It might tell you, you know what? Don't even go that way. Go, mm -hmm. go this way. Yep. You're right. That's a better way to go. Go. Well, I, I remember back in the day, and this was like probably 2011, 2012, that sort of range. So this kind of concept is incredibly new at that point. Um, I was going to get fit, and there was like an immediate knee-jerk reaction to go to the stiffest, boardiest shaft if you have a high swing speed or if you have a lot of spin. And I, I remember I went to like four different just random fitting days so it wasn't like a true fitting it was just like hey try these things and it was like matrix black tie came up every single time and and i and i don't like to roast particular shafts but it's just one of those shafts that truly did not work for my swing uh, atmos blue is another example totally different style does not work for my swing so i would get this black tie in and i'd i'd add two or three thousand rpms of spin on a driver swing just because of the way it reacts to my swing and, and the the sense of confusion that 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 came over the group was like, 
okay, what's going on here? Yeah. And then, and then I would go, so we did uh, range days. We spent some time with you guys a couple years ago doing range days with irons, but the year prior we did it with drivers and I put Atmos blue in there and I just couldn't find the center of the head. You put a different shaft in center of the head Atmos right. blue couldn't find it. It's like, there's so much that goes into that. Looking on the internet is a lot of fun to do when it's snowing outside, but it solves nothing when it comes yeah. to your actual goal. Yeah, swing. it can be. It's dangerous. Well, it was funny. We were uh, we had a training class, and one of the one of the gentlemen has like a kind of an interesting like uh, personal injury kind of thing with his legs. So his legs aren't very stable or good. He's a huge golfer, loves to golf. Not a bad golf swing, but it's just unique how he has to swing due to these injuries in his legs. And the co-pilot comes up with literally it'll start with like five suggestions. And within those five suggestions, there was an R an S and an X. And we're, really? and we've seen this before, but if you look at the profile <clears throat> of the shaft and the type in the torque of the shafts, it, it did make sense to a degree. And so as we worked through it, this was fun because it was a trainee. So we were just kind of teaching them about like how this unit thinks and how it works and how it's going to help you. Because, the first reaction by all the trainees watching this were like, well, how's that possible? How can you have, you know, this, this, and this to your point, they're not all the same. Not all flexes are the same. Not torques are measured the same. Bend profiles are different. It can really change. And so specifically, this was an anomaly. I hadn't really seen much of, I've seen like S or X or R and S, but to have all three, but then when I, you know, his swing just the way it was, I was like, you know what, this makes sense. And as we worked through it, it was interesting to see. They all kind of performed very kind of in that world that we needed to be in all three different flexes. Wow. That's wild. And and I'm sure he had the freedom to choose the one he liked best, what the the he felt best, the feel, which is, you know, there was one that stood out. Is. I don't remember what it was now, but there was one that stood out in the numbers, and then we moved on to the head and we got a great fit. But it was interesting. It was a fun one. I I, I told Brad, I'm like, well, Brad was doing it, and then he goes, You gotta come and text me. He's like, you got to come. This is a good one. And so we came. I'm like, man, we should have filmed that. That was pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't really expect to go down this rabbit hole, but I think it's a really curious one. And it it definitely validates how critical it is to get an effective fitter because not it's not necessarily you can't get fit for a product based on what's, let's say, stock. I mean, companies spend a lot of time <clears throat> validating their products, the shafts that go into their heads. Uh, at retail to fit the most amount of golfers, I'm assuming it'd be foolish if they didn't. But this is about finding the best fit, right? This is about taking that extra step. Yeah, well, absolutely. And one thing I always tell golfers is like, in, in club champion, is it, it's something I have to fight. There's fitter bias too, right? And so they get stuck in their head to fit, like to your point earlier, heavy stiff or you know light soft or whatever it is. There's biases that happens. And then with products, there can be biases that happens. Even if they don't think it happens, it happens. We used to play a fun game back in the day. Now we're big. It's hard to do. But I could literally, when we were like 10 stores, I could go to a builder's bench. If I didn't look at the build sheet and the name on it, I could kind of tell probably who sold that set of golf clubs. doesn't make it bad, by the way. It's not incriminating us because the numbers were there. You wouldn't have bought it if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But that's my point is there's some different ways to do it. And then there's this, what I like, and we always for years have tried to, how do we stir the pot, get them introduced into other avenues or lanes that their brain could go to solve a problem. Right. Cause like I said, there could be 10 ways to solve that golfer's problem. So the co-pilot's really nice in the sense where it really opens up people's brains, particularly our fitters 
to, oh, wow, you know what? I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have solved it probably this way. But this is an interesting way. And sometimes it's, it's it, what I've seen, too, is it helps with the price thing. Because, you know, sometimes they would go that way and go, well, this is the only way I can get to you those numbers, but the chaff costs this. Now you can go maybe a couple different ways and see how the different ways go. And maybe it can help you on price a lot of times, too. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, when it comes to new products, I'm assuming you have a pretty solid sense of what's what's killing it out there and what's not doing as great compared to years prior. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. Is, is there a lot lately? It seems like because uh, it's that oh, really? time of year where all the new products. Yeah. Come. Um, it, is there a company that I was just going to say? Is there a company that has surprised a lot of people this year uh, as compared to previous years? Is there a company that continues to dominate? Yeah, I don't know about like company. I'll even splice it up a little different. Like, first of all, I think okay. Titleist in the last couple of years specifically, it's like they've always made great irons and wedges and putters. Their woods, the last, you know, let's call it. I mean, they're all the, the last generation have been good, but the last two or three generations specifically, the latest TSR, so good. Yeah. Um, and so I would say they're a company when you look at market share within Club Champion. And Mark, I always joke our market share is based off performance. Um, we don't have any spiffs or anything, things like that, sell off margins. So that's been interesting to really see. In fact, I was in a meeting the other day with some folks, uh, more like board level folks that, you know, are golfers, but they're not in the golf business, right? They just help guide us on certain things. And and I threw up a thing about, you know, vendors and market share, and they were floored by the title list because they were like, where did that come from? And I'm like, well, I mean, every category now they're like hitting at all cylinders. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. <clears throat> I would say, you know, Callaway and TaylorMade still continue to battle that, you know, that that number one spot out. Um, I do think what's interesting is, is I've been hearing a lot lately that the Stealth 2 might not be as good or whatever. I don't know. I just read it online and stuff. But I can tell you, it, I fit into the Stealth 2. Never expelled it. I didn't fit into the Stealth 1, but I fit into the Stealth 2. It's a driver I'm gaming, so I'm a little curious. And when you look at fittings out there, it's been doing very well as well, it's, along with the Paradigm. Um, I'd say the most interesting, though, <clears throat> that I'm seeing, and even in the fits, the, the the few fits I do these days, is the Cobra irons have okay. really been good. In fact, I'm playing Forge Tech decks, and I've never played a Cobra iron in my life, and that was the iron I got fitted into. But Really? I mean, I've seen the Forge Tech has been unbelievable for us. The new CBMB has been performing very well for that golfer in that category. Um, and then, you know, the Aerojet iron is, you know, it battles out the Paradigm and the Stealth iron. It's done very well as well, though. I mean, Stealth and Paradigm are beating it. But I would say if I were to say one, like, category that's been interesting to me this year is that Cobra iron category. The woods are good, too. I just don't think they – it's hard to stand out in the wood category to be general in general. Um, they keep up with the Joneses. In it, but the iron category there, I, I feel like they've just really, you know, stepped up a notch in. And I'm not oh, buying that's it. Cool. I was fitted into it, but I have liked them a lot. Is there that? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, you have your staples, especially when you talk about irons and you think about their different types of categories. So like the the player irons, they're, they're the top four or five companies you expect to be in the group. But I've always been fascinated by that 
that middle to higher range handicap iron. Everyone, it's almost like an obligation for each company to take that technology to the next level. You mentioned Paradigm, Aerojet, and uh, you know that um, Stealth, those typical irons you see there. I've always been really curious about how people lean. I feel like when they're in that type of iron, they have a sense of inclination to move more towards what's in their metal woods. So, you know, with uh, with tailor-made and Callaway sort of duking it out for relevancy in the in the wood space. So it's like, all right, finally, I figured out the driver. Let's just go with those in the irons. So it almost seems yeah, that kiss like of death. I mean, that's, yeah. 100% 25 years ago, that's where my brain was because yeah. that's what I did. Okay. I, I, it was funny when I was uh, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and so my first, I had a set of uh, clubs from uh, my grandmother and uh, believe it or not. And so it's kind of how I got into this. I'm like, man, I, I grew up on a farm. I'm like, how do I make these things work? Somebody taught me how to like grip them and extend them. I did it all myself. Funny. The first time I bought it, uh, I could afford a bigger driver. I actually took a loan from my grandmother. She charged me interest on it, by the way. She'd send me a postcard every month. Here's your balance. Here's your, here's your, here's your interest, blah, blah, blah. I pay her. Right. And it was a Titleist driver. So what do you think? Honestly, I did. I worked all summer, uh, detasseling corn and I bought, uh, a set of Titleist irons because of the Titleist driver. Well, it's funny. Then I ended up moving up to Chicago, uh, cause my dad relocated and, um, we came up here and I got a job at Cog Hill and I went to the Western Open and I'm watching. I didn't go to the Western Open. I was, I had a job at the range at Cog Hill. The Western Open came. I, you know, during the Western Open, they'd still have all the employees helping do the range activities. Right. And so I'm watching these pros. I'm, I'm in high school at the time and they go going back and forth. These tour trailers, just like in looking at their bag, you know, there's even back then. I mean, stuff was all over the place, like maybe even more so. Um, where every club was a little unique and I'm like, well, wait, why, why am I doing it the way I'm doing it? And I started having these conversations with some of the folks and they're like, well, that's just how it is. I'm like, well, why can't I, why can't we have the tour experience? At the time I'm in high school, right? I think I'm going to be the next Tiger Woods. So <laughs> I'm going, you know, if I'm going to be the next Tiger Woods, I got to have the right equipment just like these folks to do. Otherwise I'm not going to get better at this game. And so that's really what was one of the driving forces behind me getting into this industry, you know, that basically right at high school. So um, was that whole trying to break that paradigm and it's still there where people are like, well, I like this brand of wood. So then I'll just get the whole bag or I like this iron. So I'll just get the whole bag. It's like bad idea. Probably could work, but you better get fitted and you better know how that works. Probably not going to work. I mean, I have uh, what I go uh, tailor made driver, um, tailor made three wood, Ping hybrid, Cobra irons, Cleveland wedges, Bet and Hardy putter. Shrix RTX, the new RTX. Uh, wait, oh, sorry, hold on. What? Cleveland wedges. Oh the new yeah, RTX? I the full face RTX, full face. Yeah, yeah, nice. Can we talk a little bit about how much uh, Grandma was a bit of a gangster, or what? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> sweet. <laughs> well, I'll tell you some more interesting stories. That lady taught me a lot. She was a tough old bird, but she was awesome. In you know. She, you know, later in life, she, you know, uh, grandpa died. She moved in with my uncle. This is how she was. She didn't want to buy a half gallon of milk because she goes, I won't drink a half gallon of milk. So she would measure down to the cup of what a cup of milk cost. And she would pay my uncle for every cup of milk she took. 
Oh, man. Uh, was, our uh, our yeah, world's a bit different now. Well, so, you know, most of my family's from the southern tip of Illinois, and, and we joke around. We're a bunch of hilljacks, and, you know, we have a little bit of some interesting uh, corks to us, but one of them is uh, being frugal. Um, and so uh, the frugality there is is it's channeling up. I always joke my dad is he's the best person for me to and I use his him as an example in my training classes. Um, in fact, this is an interesting thing for all customer or for for potential customer to hear. And, and when I was launching this business, he was not a golfer. The only people that golfed in my family were my grandma and grandpa. And, and honestly, they didn't really golf. They went to it was like a cow pasture golf course in southern Illinois. But they liked that they go outside every once in a while and do it. And so <clears throat> when I got into this business, my dad's like, I just don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, blah, 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 blah. So it took a long time for him to like understand why people would spend money on this, why they would do it. He's like, I get it because you want to play better golf, but like I'm just an average. He kind of started taking up golf after me. He's like, why would I ever do this? Well, after he came in and got fit, finally we talked him into it. Me and my mother came. I go, come in. I'm going to get you fit. Mom's going to buy you the golf clubs because, hey, there's no freebies for dad here, okay? Um, and so free fit, but no clubs, okay? And so mom paid for the fit. He goes out and he plays. He goes, holy cow. He's like, I played a lot better. And I'm like, yeah. Well, funny part is, is my dad was a third shift printer for my whole growing up. He didn't go to college. He ended up going back to college. He graduated college when I graduated eighth grade. And that's how we moved up to Chicago. He started selling mutual funds and he became a financial planner eventually. And he finally, after he realized what we were, what I was doing, he goes, Nick, I got an interesting thought for you. He goes, you know, as a financial planner, we sit there and we try to tell people how to, you know, use their money, right? How to save it, how to invest it, what they should be spending on, what they shouldn't be spending on. And he goes, it's all, we do a lot of it related on time, right? Like what time do you spend at these items, right? On these things. He's like, somebody wants to go buy a Louis Vuitton bag for 2,500 bucks. But he's like, reality is for what? And so, you know, he goes, golf is an interesting thing. Because he's like, I go out and golf. It's once a week. It's five hours of my life. And then I watch a little golf on TV or, you know, you read the golf magazine. Or like when you talk at our level, we're just in golf to golf all the time. He goes, golf now is all of a sudden, you know, let's just say it's five hours a week. He goes, you eat, you sleep, you work. We'll put your family in there. Uh-oh, golf's a top five, type six thing in time consumption in your life. So when we sit there and say, you know, spending 500 dollars $600, $700, $800, $900,000 on a driver once every couple of years is a lot of money, he goes, the reality is it isn't. He's like, it's just perspective. And he goes, yeah. you'll have no problem going to spend it on something willy-nilly like a, a purse or a, or a watch or something that, you know, really doesn't mean anything. Or you can spend it on a golf club that you're going to enjoy for the majority, you know, a big majority of your time on a weekly basis. Yeah, so, adding adding golf balls save from not bad shots too. It does help. <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent. There's there's yeah. so many of those. So like when I always joke, people always go, "So fittings expensive, custom gloves are expensive." Sure, I guess. I mean, it depends how you look at it. It's like it's more expensive than buying it off the shelf, right? I get it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not. So. You know, it, it's so funny you say that because I think it's a newer generation mentality to be willing to pay into the things you participate in the most. Um, I have these discussions. If, if you go to so even some of the nicer country clubs, it's so funny how many members spend all that time there and, you know, buy eight, nine beers a day each weekend, like all this money they're dumping in 
to right. play golf. And then you look in their golf bag and it's like oh. this raggedy old, uh, you don't can't get even call it a snap that bag that don't has like on you know, it. ping I threes in there from a billion years ago. It's like, boys, what are you doing? Like, this is your entire livelihood entertainment and you're not willing to spend a little bit of money over the course of who cares how long. Like I had a conversation with someone I said, you've owned these golf clubs for over 10 years. Do you know how much it costs for a new bag of clubs spread out over 10 years? Like we're talking pennies yeah. a day here, man. And you're still using these things. Like you hit one shot with a club that has decent technology in it with a decent grip on it. And you're going to realize you're doing, you're basically abusing yourself right now yeah. using these old golf clubs. I have a reputation at uh, my golf club. And sometimes it bleeds in when I go to other golf clubs is I'll go up to the person. Cause you know, I'm the, instead of spending time at the bar, I probably have a beer in my hand going up and down the bag, you know, the bag drop and I'll go to somebody <laughs> and I'll go, Hey, you want me to go in and give the resignation to the club? And they go, what are you talking about? I go, well, you know, with this bag is set, you might as well just go join the par three executive down the street, save yourself a bunch of time and money. And they just look at me like, wait, did you just say that to me? And I'm like, again, the rabbit hole I could go down on social media. And yeah. but I feel better about it when I'm saying it face to face to somebody. And then we get into this conversation just like you did, where it's like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. I, I play golf to enjoy myself and hopefully I'm on a journey to either stay the same as I age or get better. Right. And technology can help you do that. So it's like, what, what are we doing? You know, that, uh, that story that you just had, you guys have a social presence. You could have content for days doing that yeah. to people, uh, and then just handing them a free fitting card. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's purchase. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> And then, hey, everyone who loves club club champion get uh, dinner and a show every night, seeing who Nick Rose at a golf course the following day. <laughs> it is amazing, oh, though. It is. It's like I, you you still see, you know, you got a guy paying a thousand bucks or whatever a month for dues at a club, playing eight forty five Silver Scots from nineteen eighty seven, and you're like, what's going on here? Uh, I had the eight fifty fives. They were sweet. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know who made them it wasn't uh silver scott though uh oh man that that's that's such an interesting segue but so we're we're kind of limited on time here i know but uh there's a couple things i hadn't had a chance to ask you about so maybe you can just touch on it a little bit i i know there's some growth going on with club champion right now we've seen it into canada a lot of conversation with txg and 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 now it sounds like you're in a couple more countries do you want to share sure. a little bit that, that, so that again, I think Canada is the one that people know the most because it is TXG and they have an online presence of their YouTube channel that does really well. And folks all the time go, oh, you must have you bought them for this reason. You bought them for that reason. Listen, we acquired whether it was UK or Pureform. It, again, it, the idea was to do what we did in the States. You know, we basically took me, infused money, brought some business know-how and expanded and let the golf guy be the golf guy, right? And so that's kind of like Ian in Canada. Let the golf guy be the golf guy and drive that vision and foundation. You know, people all the time go, hey, TXG and Club Champion are two different things. You know, TXG does all this and Club Champion does this. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, we're all the same. And you're going to see it because we're going to start getting more and more integrated with, with Ian and I myself. Or in fact, we're going to be starting a new series called Fathers of Fitting. And it's going to be me Ian, it's going to be Jason McNevin in the UK and Paul Jenner in um, Australia. Uh, four guys that have been doing this for 20 plus years at a high level. 
and talking about it because there is a lot of thought there like, oh, we're all different. No, no, no. The core foundation of what Ian and TXG and those crew do up in Canada, Jason and UK, you know, Australia, we all have that same mentality. We all have that same, and we build clubs the same. We fit clubs the same. We might use a different launch monitor. It doesn't matter. The number's the same. You know, we, 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 we believe in having the right fitters in the store and the right fitters working with you. Um, so it is going to be interesting. And we have created some confusion there because uh, we changed our social handle to TXG, a club champion brand. But the reality is, is Ian and crew do a really good job at social media and YouTube, and we didn't. And so it's like, okay, well, if we can give them a little bit of the driving force of that, that helps feed the whole club champion umbrella. And eventually TXG will be a club champion, just be club champion. And the UK will just be club champion. And I'll show you. We also didn't want to shock everybody and go, oh, they're taking over and they're the big bad monster. You know, you know how that goes. And so we just wanted to get around that and be like, hey, we're all a team. We're going to we're gonna progress as a team. We're going to make it. And, you know, you're starting to see it in Canada. You know, they started with two locations when we bought them. I always, in, in when we bought them, they had two locations in Toronto, very small. I say club champion or EJL circa 2007. That's that was me in 2007, and now we're trying. We're opening them in Cal Calgary, opening them in Vancouver. Same thing in UK. You know, we're in. Uh, they had a little location outside of London. We opened a little bit bigger location in Basingstoke there, and then we also opened up a uh, one in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, well, I guess three months ago now. And it's all the same. They're all Jason and the crew over there running that. And then in Australia, we they had a location in Melbourne. They had a location in Sydney. And we just opened up our third location, a new location there in Bisbane, um, where it's hotter than Hades. But um, uh, it's super hot. But uh, anyway, um, we've had fun doing it. And you're going to see us get more integrated. And you're going to see us talk more as a group. And you're going to see that, you know, the things you may love or hate about it, we're all the same. And we're all going to, you know, continue to grow and evangelize this fitting and custom building story. Um, because the four of us, uh, the fathers of fitting, we can call ourselves, we all believe it. And we all share that same passion. You know, I'm not, I'm not discounting the other locations, but I've heard some good things about traveling to the uk for golf you want to do like an off course on location over there yeah we can <laughs> uh in fact i'll have to go over there eventually it's funny i haven't played i've played in uh scotland uh a decent amount of golf in scotland i've actually never played in the uk and there's plenty of courses there to pick off the list that jason could help us get done yeah i've never been anywhere over there so let's get it that yeah. sounds like a trip and we can hand out free free fitting cards <laughs> Yeah, to, to well, all the English folks well, who, it's funny. who need some uh, help with their bags. <laughs> in, it's 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 yeah. Wherever you go in the world, it's it, this is what I will tell you. What's interesting in in traveling golf, in the traveling golf world of mine, you go to like an Asian country. Uh, let's say you can even break it up more like this. Um, China is probably 10 years behind us in custom club fitting and understanding what that means. And Japan is probably 20 years. Um, if you were to put it, Europe is probably, Europe and Canada is probably five to eight years behind us. So what I mean by that is, is if you go to Japan, um, first of all, it's more of a class system, right? And so the, what you, your appearance in your your items because we've all been in history classes class system kind of like what you have your possessions right 
And so when you look at like over there, every club off the shelf comes with like a $400 plus shaft. And every driver you buy over there is basically a thousand plus US dollars. Okay. Because it's not unheard of to go to a Japanese driving range because people go to driving ranges or play indoor golf more. It's landlocked country. Golf is very expensive and hard to get to. You got to get out of the city to do it. And, you know, you'll go to those and you'll you'll be next to a person at a driving range there that has almost an $80,000 Hamna five-star bag. And all they really do is hit golf balls with it. And so um, when you go over there and try to custom fit and people have tried, they haven't really like that hasn't registered. Japanese work a lot. They okay. research a lot. And then at the end, they just go buy it and then use it. So changing that mentality and it, it's across even the U.S. 25 years ago, changing the mentality of people buying off the shelf to doing that what they do now, um, custom fit has been a thing. So you're seeing that along the way. And it's one of the reasons why we slow played going internationally. But now we feel like it's spreading internationally that, and we were going to be a big part of that. But it's time to make that happen. And we're doing it. Golf club champion global, man. It sounds wicked. Uh I can't wait to see how that changes. I'd love to get your feedback on the USGA and RNA stuff, but uh, I think we're, I think we're capped on time here. You probably got something going on here soon. So let me, uh, let me just say that it's been an absolutely awesome discussion today. We, we went down a couple holes. I didn't expect to go down, but I think it, it provided <laughs> a lot of depth to the folks listening in to, to give good reason to at least, consider club champion when you're you're looking for a new product and um can i get my 30 second ball thing yeah 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 do your thing okay i'll give you my 30 second ball i am not a fan because one of the things i love about golf uh, and well trust me i love every about every sport and i watch a lot of sports is the fact that golf is a sport that i can play the same things that tour players play and i have the chance of playing on tour if i really was doing like that 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 line isn't there like you know, I could never be a basketball player, okay? Just couldn't be, okay? But I could be a professional golfer. And I think that's one of the things that resonates with a lot of golfers. And the golf ball thing, if you're going to have uh, a golf ball that the tour plays versus the average person, and we've seen this with golf equipment over the years where people tried to sell, you know, non-conforming to conforming, I think it's going to be hard. And I think it takes a little bit of that luster away from it. And that's my biggest beef. Believe me. People should think I should have the opposite because if everybody has to change golf balls, it means I'm going to sell a lot of new golf clubs because they're going to have to get refit for that golf ball, um, you know, and the clubs they use. But I just don't like it. I don't want to play a different ball than the tour plays, which means then the only answer is we all play that restricted ball. And then that's fine. I think I've heard Rory and them say, well, then you just got to re-choose box, tee boxes you play. Okay, I just to me the juice on this doesn't seem worth the squeeze. Just leave yeah. it alone and let golfers be golfers. Well, truth be told, how many amateurs really need to move back or move up? Let, like, there's a lot more guys who need to be moving up currently who don't. So yeah, let's right. not make it any harder than it already is. Right, is my thought. Uh, although some people love to see the world burn, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but I, I, I just, uh, I think this is. In today's current economy and just everything going on, and golf has a nice momentum, yeah. why put this roadblock in there? It's just yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, hey Nick, thanks for taking the time today, man. I, I know everyone appreciates you over at THP. I sure do as well, and I'm excited to see what's coming for you guys next. Thanks, Dan. All right, hey, all you golfers out there, if you're playing this weekend, have an awesome time. Make it count. 
go get fit for your clubs. Don't be using those 20 year old whatevers. It's not worth it. See you guys next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. Your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.